You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. It's good to see all of you here this afternoon. My name is Eric Bonkowski, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. And I was remembering this week various road trips that I was on, car trips, usually with a friend. And there are those car trips. You know, some are always just lighthearted and sort of whimsical, and you're playing songs on the radio or off a playlist. But then there's some of those car trips, right, where your friend asks you a deep and pointed question. You know, a question like, how's your walk with God? Or a question that I remember a friend asking me at one point when I was dating uh, Sarah, who's now my wife, and he asked, so what are you thinking about in your relationship with Sarah? Or a question now that might be asked on one of those car rides, uh, what are your hopes for your children? How are you praying for them? Right, we, we all have been in that experience where we're on this trip and it takes a turn because of a, a deep and meaningful question that is asked was thinking about that this week because the passage that we're going to read in just a second, that happens with Jesus. This summer, we've been working our way through this sermon series of On the Road with Jesus because Jesus has turned his face to Jerusalem and he's moving uh, through teaching and through healings and through miracles with his disciples. And the passage we come to today, someone asks a question that takes the conversation to that deeper level. And we're going to see and understand what happens when that question gets asked. So if you have a Bible, open up to Luke chapter 13, and we can see what I'm talking about. Or if you want to follow along with the worship guide, you're welcome to do that as well. The words are printed in the worship guide for you. I'm going to read Luke 13, verses 22 through 35. We'll see if I read the whole passage this week. Here's what it says. He, that's Jesus, went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying around, journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. 
And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, we know that in order to understand and apply any of your word, it requires your spirit. So we ask that now that in your grace you would send your spirit to all of us, that you would bless the words of our, my mouth, that you would bless all of the thoughts of our minds, and that you would help us to translate these old words into meaningful action in our lives today. We pray that you would do this for our good and for the glory of your great name. Amen. All right, so this question gets asked on the road with Jesus, and it comes right at the beginning of the passage. Someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And in many ways, this is a classic theological question. It's been asked throughout the centuries. It's a question that could lead us into a discussion of the theology of hell or the idea of limited atonement. This question of, will those who are saved be few? It's a valid theological question. But what I want you to understand is that behind this theological question is a personal question. And that's often the case. It's actually taken me a long time as a pastor to recognize that. Because a lot of times people will come to me with a theological question. And I may race ahead and try to answer that question and miss the fact that what they're asking really is a deep question of their soul. I remember one time it happened right outside those doors after a worship service and someone asked me this question I launched into a theological answer and I was halfway through my answer when I realized she didn't care about the theology. She wanted me to answer the question of her heart. I think Jesus is doing that here too. He recognizes it, right? It comes posed as a theological question but the real question behind the question is will I be saved? Will I be saved? You see, Jesus has been teaching, and, and over the last few weeks, if you've been here, you've heard this difficult content of some of his teaching, quite frankly. He's been talking about the coming judgment. He's been talking about uh, the need for repentance. He's been talking about his kingdom and who will belong to his kingdom. And it, it's in these surprising ways that even the, the faithful religious Jews of the day are beginning to wonder, are we on the right side? They're beginning to ask this question, will I be saved? 
And you see, that's a personal question that many of us have as well. And, and Jesus does another thing that Jesus is prone to do when faced with a question like this. Right? It comes to him as a, a yes or no question. Will, this, will those who are saved be few? Yes or no, Jesus? Jesus, of course, doesn't give a yes or no answer. He does answer the question, but he answers it obliquely. He answers it by developing uh, this image of a door. And that's what I want to explore with you this afternoon, this door that Jesus answers with. We're going to address that in two parts. First, we're going to understand the door, and then we're going to enter the door. So what is this door that Jesus introduces to answer this person's question? He says in verse 24, Strive to enter through the narrow door. But then a little bit later on in verse 25, he says, When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door. So to understand this door, you need to see two things. It's a narrow door and it's a soon-to-shut door. We'll take those in turn, right? Strive to enter through the narrow door. Many will uh, want to enter it, but won't be able to. Now, when we hear that, what do we think of? What comes to mind? In taking my daughter on college visits, I think that's how we think about this. We think about the door of the kingdom like a selective college admission. Do I have what it takes? Do I have the record? Do I have the resume to get in through the door? That's not exactly what Jesus means by a narrow door here. You see, it's not an exclusive door so much as it's a particular door. That's what makes it narrow. What Jesus is saying is the only way to get into the narrow door is through me. Only Jesus. I am the door. If, if you all are familiar with the Gospels, you know that Jesus uses language like this elsewhere, particularly in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says in John 10, he says, I am the door for the sheep, and anyone who enters, enters through me. What makes the door narrow is that the only way through the door is through faith in Jesus. And... You can't take anything else with you. And that's the part that trips us up, doesn't it? You can't take anything else with you. That's what makes the door narrow. Only Jesus. I don't have a lot of phobias, but I think if I were to have a phobia, it would probably be claustrophobia. You know, narrow, confined spaces. As a young, as a young boy, I, sometimes I would go up into... Um, New Hampshire and go caving and there were times where you had to get completely on your stomach to wriggle through a cave or if you've never been caving um, and you live in Richmond maybe you have a crawl space there are times where I've had to get underneath my house and into a crawl space and it can feel constricting and you can only squeeze through with yourself you can't take any uh, thing with you if you're going to take tools or something else you have to throw that ahead or drag it in after you that's the image that jesus is using here with the narrow door uh, months ago i told the story of the rescue of the soccer team that was trapped in the cave system right 
And the rescue divers, some of the passages were so narrow, they, they had to take the oxygen tanks off of their back and pass the oxygen tanks through those crevices before they could go through themselves. That's the narrow door of Jesus. Anything else that you're carrying, anything else that you're using to represent yourself before God, you have to take that off and say, only Jesus, I am the door, I am the way, I am the narrow door. Here's the point, the door is narrow, the scripture is very clear on that, but anybody can get through. It's a particular door, not an exclusive door. Anybody can get through that door. Let me ask you this. What's keeping you from entering through that door? All right, so the door is narrow. As we understand the door, that's the first thing. The second thing I said about the door, the scripture says about the door, Jesus says about the door, is that it's a soon-to-shut door, right? It says in verse 25, when once the master has risen and shut the door, it's too late after that. What Jesus is saying here, he's been saying all along, he's been saying judgment is coming. He's been saying that the clock is ticking. He's saying that the moment is pregnant with redemptive history and something big is right about to happen. The door is open now, that narrow door is open now, but it won't be forever. You see, what Jesus is getting at here is a certain urgency. There is an urgency to the soon shutting door. What does this look like? Well, I think we have a great example in in our present day society. And many of you probably experienced it this summer, right? I love going to the airport. The airport, there's no better place to people watch than the airport, right? And uh, in, in the airport, they're the people who, are, um, who, who run through the airport, right? They're trying to make a connection, um, and they're afraid that they're, they're not going to get to the gate in time. I have vowed I'm never going to be like a person who runs through the airport. I'm, t- I'm too cool for that. Why do we run through the airport? Well, it's because of the urgency of the gate closing, or the, the doors on the airport, uh, airplane closing, Right? And they get on the loudspeaker and they say, you know, the door is closed and absolutely nothing more can happen at that point. That's the idea that Jesus is talking about here. That's the urgency of this soon-to-close door of the kingdom. The master's going to rise. He's going to shut that door. And at that point, it will be too late. How do you respond to that? What kind of person are you in the airport? Does it make you anxious to know that that gate is closing, that the door to the airplane is closing? Well, I want you to think about that spiritually. Do you live your life spiritually with the same sort of urgency that you do in the airport? That's what Jesus is t- teaching us about the door of the kingdom. The door is shutting. But friends, it's not too late right now. It's not too late. What's keeping you from entering the door? The narrow door. The soon to shut door. Let me, let me suggest two ways that I think are keeping us from entering the door. And these are true for me. I think these are true probably for most of you as well. At least one of them is true. And uh, the, the two categories are we have wrong ideas about Jesus and we have wrong ideas about ourselves. And these keep us from entering the door. Wrong ideas about Jesus. This is uh, how we miss the narrow door by saying that there's another way said earlier that there's this particular way, this particular narrow way. 
This actually happens in the passage, right? It, it happens in the, uh, the, the second part. Verse 31, at that hour, some Pharisees came and said, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. You see, the Pharisees uh, see in Jesus this laser focus on Jerusalem. And Jesus is going there. Why? Because he knows he's going to die in Jerusalem. And he talks about that in the second paragraph. And the Pharisees see that and they say, if you're the rescuer, if you're the Messiah, surely you can't die. You see, they they are uh, bucking against the narrow door because the narrow door means that the only way into the kingdom is through Jesus' death. Death on a cross. And you and I, I think, do the same thing. We want there to be another way. We want there to be a door into the kingdom that doesn't require Jesus to die. How does that show up in our lives? We're like, he's already dead, Eric. I don't do that. Yeah, you do it every time that you deny your sinfulness. Why? Because well, sin is what leads to the cross. And so every time you live your life, every day you approach God as though you don't carry this sin that must be paid for by Jesus, you are saying, oh, there's a different way. Or you, you do it by saying, well, yeah, I've sinned, but God's just going to overlook that. He's going to have mercy on me. Well, there's no mercy, there's no overlooking without the cross, the narrow way, the narrow door of Jesus. What are the places where you're trying to talk Jesus Christ out of the cross? Or talk God out of the necessity of the cross? You see, the door is narrow for us because the door was narrow for Jesus. From day one, Jesus knew that the door that he was opening to the kingdom of God led to the cross. And that's why in this passage, he is so laser focused on it Do you see the words that he uses? He says, nevertheless, I must go on my way. It cannot be any other way. The only way goes through my cross. See, wrong ideas about Jesus can lead us to despise the narrow door. And I think wrong ideas about ourselves can lead us to despise the soon-to-shut door. What do I mean by that? Well, I think we can miss the urgency of the soon-to-shut door by believing that there's more for us still yet to do. There's either more that we have to do in order to get into the kingdom of God, or there's more that we want to do before we enter into the kingdom of God. Either one. You see, for some of us, we've lost the plot line of life. I think this is particularly challenging and problematic for most of us in this room. We who have given ourselves over to uh, late modern uh, Western life. There's more for us to do. There's career. There's money. There are new homes to buy. There are new experiences and travel and trips to go on. There are more dreams that we have about our kids. And that suddenly becomes far more important than life in and for the kingdom of God. And so this shutting door of the kingdom, the urgency with Jesus is talking about following him, it falls on deaf ears for us because there's other stuff we want to do first. Oh, and it's fine. I'll take Jesus along with me. But he's not going to be the most important thing. He won't be the most central thing. 
And, and we begin to adopt the attitude that the people in this passage adopt, right? They, they say to Jesus, Jesus even puts words in their mouth. He says, then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. Basically, this is people saying, Jesus, I'm your boy. You know me. We hung out. Jesus is saying, listen, familiarity or proximity to me does not get you into the door. Just because you are in the vicinity, just because you know my name, you haven't entered the door. That's a hard teaching for us, isn't it? But it's pointing to that urgency of the soon-to-shut kingdom. I'm notoriously cheap, right? I don't like spending money. A few years ago, my wife and I went to Paris and we spent a few nights into Paris. But everything in Paris is really expensive. So we went to Notre Dame, right? We didn't go inside. We've got some nice pictures outside, you know, we can prove that we were there. We walked by the Louvre, right? We didn't go in. I mean, the admission to that place is astronomical. Right? That's how many of us are with Jesus. We've been in the vicinity. We've been close enough to Instagram Jesus, but we haven't entered the door. What is it that is preventing you from entering the door? What is it about this life that you think this life offers that you have to check off your list before you can go all in on the kingdom of God? Friends, what this passage is saying is that Jesus is closing the door on our self-absorbed, ordinary lives that refuse to die for the sake of the kingdom. And that's how I live my life most days. And I think it is for you too. Jesus is calling our bluff. My, uh, my uncle lost his wife uh, a year or so ago, and he's entered this phase of life where he's sending lots of emails. Um, you might have a relative like this. And specifically, he's sending a lot of emails about the history of my family, my, grand, my grandfather and my grandmother. And recently, he sent one actually about his a deceased wife's dad, this man named Addison Leach, that name probably doesn't mean anything to you, but he was a college professor and uh, a pastor. And he worked at Gordon-Conwell Seminary for a while. And he actually worked at Gordon-Conwell when Tim and Kathy Keller were students there. And it came up recently because in the uh, recent biography of Keller, it mentions Addison Leach. And he was kind of pointing this out to all the family members of, hey, look, my, my former my former father-in-law had this connection to the Kellers. And Tim Keller, in a sermon from a long time ago, talked about the influence that this man Addison Leach had in his life. And it was on this very topic. You see, Addison Leach was teaching in a college, and there were two young daughters who attended that college. And their parents were really proud of them for getting into this institution. They had great hopes for them that they would get their education, go on and get master's degrees, and be successful by all the world's standards. Only one thing happened. When they were at college, they met Jesus Christ. And they were converted. And they decided that they wanted to become missionaries. 
instead. And the, the mom was so upset, she called Addison Leach, the professor, and said, what happened to my daughters? We had every expectation that they would get their education and that then, through these master's degrees, they would have security in this world. And he said back to this parent, maybe in not the most gentle way, these words that I printed at the top of the worship guide today, I want to read some of it. It says this, under every single one of us, there's a trap door that's going to open one day, and we're going to fall off this ball of rock, and underneath will either be the everlasting arms of God or absolutely nothing. And maybe we can get a master's degree to get some security. Friends, what's your master's degree? What are you uh, trying to bring through the narrow door? What are you saying I must accomplish or I must do or I must have until or before that door closes? Where are you looking for security outside of the narrow door that is Jesus Christ? All right, I've spent a lot of time helping us understand this door. Probably most important, though, is how do we enter the door? So let's talk about that for a few minutes. How do we enter the door? What do we do in light of this narrow and soon-to-shut door of the kingdom? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 24, he says, strive to enter through the narrow door. Strive to enter. Uh, First off, notice this present tense. That means it's active, it's ongoing, it's continual. What Jesus is saying, strive and keep on striving. Or we could put it this way, believe and keep on believing. Now I realize that as soon as I say the word, or really Jesus says the word, strive, some, uh, some radar goes up, some alarm bells go off in your head. Right? Because in our little pocket of Christianity, the idea of striving is almost antithetical to the gospel. So, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Right? And, and we immediately reach in our back po- pocket and we pull out the grace card. I'm going to play the grace card here. This is not invalidating grace in any way. Jesus is saying, strive to enter the kingdom. See, grace, and I've said this before, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. This door is open to us only through the work that Jesus has done. We haven't earned it. We didn't merit it. But Jesus can say, strive to enter labor to receive it, work hard to walk through the door. What Jesus is talking about here is the agency of our faith. He made us as real humans, souls, spirit, mind, body, walk through the door. Now, to further understand what it means to strive to enter the narrow door, um, we're helped by a couple of techniques just in biblical interpretation. The first is what does the passage say? How do we read it in light of the context of the passage? The second is we allow other scripture to interpret scripture. Fundamental principle of reading the Bible. Scripture interprets scripture. So if we apply that here, what do we learn? Well, first, from the context of the passage, the very last verse I read, it says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What does that mean? It basically means faith. It means to acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. 
It means to repent and believe. That's what Jesus is saying. That's how the passage helps us understand what Jesus said at the very beginning. Strive to enter. What does that mean? It means to believe and keep on believing. Earlier in this series, we talked about uh, the, the one who is saved is the one who acknowledges Jesus as the Son of Man. It's that simple. That's how we enter the kingdom of heaven. But what about from the rest of Scripture? Well, there are multiple places where this language of striving comes up. I want to just focus on one. It's in Hebrews chapter 4. And our assurance of pardon uh, quoted from Hebrews chapter 4 today intentionally because I wanted these words to be in our minds. But earlier in Hebrews chapter 4, this is a different author, it's not Luke, he says, strive to enter God's rest. Same word, strive. There, instead of using the image of a door, he uses the image of rest. Strive to enter the, the rest of God. Well, how? Hebrews 4 goes on to tell us. First, it talks about God's word that's living and active and that pierces to our very souls. So how do we strive to enter? How do we enter the narrow door? Well, we pay attention to God's word. Even when it comes at us with these difficult concepts, these difficult ideas of a narrow door and a soon to shut door, right? Our preference would be for a, a door that's broad and wide. Our preference would be for a door that stays open forever. But the Bible teaches us that that's not reality. Will we strive to enter by taking God's word as authoritative? That's very unpopular in our day and age, right? It's almost laughable. You would trust this old text to tell you the truth about life? Absolutely. Because I'm going to strive to enter the kingdom of God. That's the first thing. The second thing that Hebrews 4 tells us, and this was part of the assurance of pardon that Harrison read for us this afternoon. It says, hold fast to your confession and draw near, draw near to the throne of grace. That's what it means to strive to enter. Draw near. There's that idea, that language again. It's active language. Draw near. Christ is the door. He's opened the path of access into God's very presence. Draw near and keep on drawing near. This is nothing more complicated than putting yourself in the way of God's mercy. This passage is filled with these images of God's mercy. He wants to gather us together the way um, a mother hen gathers her chicks and protects them. That's the merciful covering of God. He says that they'll come from the east and the west and the north and the south. It's not exclusive. There are many millions and billions of people who are coming into the kingdom because they have trusted in the mercy of God. It's that simple. We strive to enter the kingdom of God by resting in Jesus' grace. And you all know that rest takes work, doesn't it? It doesn't just happen. It takes effort to put ourselves underneath the grace of God because we have to resist everything in us that wants to earn our salvation, that wants to prove to God that we have something to offer. It takes work to let all of that go and enter in through the narrow door, to take off the oxygen mask and say, no, Jesus is my admittance into this door. 
It's a really simple message, right? I was so honored two weeks ago when uh, the staff and you all surprised me by honoring my 15 years at City Church. And it's uh, it's been wonderful to read these uh, notes and letters that many of you have written. And I, I can only read one a day because it's too emotional for me. So I've been reading them one a day. And it's clarified so much of what what City Church is about, but more than that, what the gospel is about. And it's this simple message, right? Strive to rest in God's grace for you. It was totally unfair that someone asked my daughter to write one of these letters, right? Some kind of cruel torture towards me. And at the end of her letter, she wrote this. Most of all, thank you for teaching me about Jesus Christ and his everlasting love. That's the narrow door. That's the soon to shut door. It is a door constructed out of Jesus's everlasting love. Strive to enter. What's keeping you today from entering that door? from walking through and receiving his wide and eternal mercy. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that even in the hard teachings of your word, we find grace because all of your word is pointing towards Jesus. I pray that his name will continue to be the drumbeat of City Church and of our lives. And I ask that for those who are here today and haven't yet walked through the door, the narrow door of Christ into the kingdom, that they will. And that for those of us who are trying to still in pride stuff our resumes through that narrow passageway that will let it all go and trust only and completely in the finished work of Jesus, our Savior. We pray this in his name. Amen.